as we continue to get our feet on the ground in our podcast, um, we're trying to be as efficient as we possibly can and try to bring you messages that might instruct you or encourage you or challenge you. Any of those things can be a good thing in our spiritual walk. And we hope that the Lord is going to use this to be able to do that in lives out there in podcast land. And so we hope that we will be able to be a blessing to you. And we encourage you again, if you would have any questions or any input or anything, you can email me at the Warriors Sword um, 2020 at gmail.com. And so we would love to hear from you. And again, we're in the process of, of revising our website. And so we'll be letting you know more about that in the days ahead. I, of course, as a minister, I have a number of favorite verses and favorite books in the Bible. But one of my favorite books in the Bible, I would like to spend some time looking at here on this next section of podcast. Um, That is the book of Philippians. I think the book of Philippians has some of the most wonderful verses in it, some that are very, very well known that we quote and use quite often. And so that's one of the reasons that the book is one of my favorites. Um, You see kind of the historical idea in, in the Philippian church in Acts chapter 16, <clears throat> as Paul and Barnabas want to go to um, Asia to preach the word. And um, they that's their desire is to do that. And as they do that, I'm sorry too, I said Barnabas and I meant to say Silas. Um, because Paul has been put together now with Silas um, and Barnabas has gone on with Mark um, and done ministry apart. And so that's a whole different topic. But now as Paul is with Silas, um, they, they wanted to go to Asia and preach the gospel. They wanted to go to Bithynia and preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit forbid them to do that. that. That's kind of a very interesting thing to me. You see that story in Acts 16, verses 6 to 8, as they are going through that. And, and it's kind of an interesting situation that the Holy Spirit would tell someone not to go preach the gospel somewhere. And, and it causes all kinds of different thinking in that of why would he do that? There's times because the gospel would be preached in Asia. In fact, the seven churches of the book of Revelation is dealing with Asia. And, and so the gospel would be preached there. Sometimes it's timing. Is it, is it the right timing? Sometimes 
It is situations that maybe we're not the right people to go and do that. Maybe God has other people that are doing that work. There, there can be lots of reasons why God would do that. But it, it's hard sometimes for us to have our attention focused on God so much that we hear that in what he says. I think of several times through my ministry career, and if you listen to our conversation about the origins of the warrior sword, you heard me talk about we believe that we are in an American mission. I've had numerous times in my ministry career where I came across different missionaries, different opportunities to go to different countries. Um, some of those include Nepal and Honduras and several regions in Africa where I was made the offer that I could go and do that and just Admitting to you from my heart, I really wanted to. I really wanted to. It was a little intimidating to me, but I thought, wow, in Nepal, this missionary that had been there, that was actually a Nepalese um, national, had heard me speak on a television telecast, and he said, we want you to come to Nepal and teach us and minister to us. And I was like, wow, what an awesome opportunity that is. God said, no, I didn't want him to say no. Have you ever been in that situation where you really want to do something, even though it may intimidate you again, but you really want to do something and God says no? Don't do that. Why would he tell me no? Because the call in my life, not putting down, again, the foreign missions, but the call in my life is a mission to America. And so I was trying to go outside of the realm of the call in my life and, and to try to reach the people that I really wanted to reach to. Another one was Myanmar having that opportunity. And, and so those opportunities have been there, but the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go there. And right after the Holy Spirit does that with Paul and Silas, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. That's chapter 16 of Acts verse 9. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Now, what does that have to do with a study on Philippians? Well, what that has to do is Philippi was one of the chief cities in Macedonia. <clears throat> and so what is happening in this is as Paul is called into Macedonia through a dream, he starts out in Philippi. And this leads to the foundation of the Philippian church, which is who Paul is writing to in this letter. J just kind of, again, continuing in the backdrop of the story, because it's significant to understand this. God openly sent Paul and Silas to Macedonia 
right into Philippi and right into being stoned almost to death and being thrown into the depths of prison. That's that's where they end up. And and I don't know, sometimes we we follow God and, and we're doing what God is telling us to do. And boy, things just don't turn out the way that we think that they are going to turn out, do they? Do they? If if you've done, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you, you recognize that fact that sometimes things just don't turn out the way that we thought they were going to. So they follow God's call into Macedonia. They end up in Philippi and they end up in prison. And they begin to sing at midnight. And an earthquake comes and shakes the walls. And the prison doors open and the jailer is ready to kill himself because if you lost, if you was a prison guard in the Roman uh, um, authority and kingdom, you were a prison guard and you lost your prisoners, that meant automatic death. And so this prison guard knew that he was going to die because he thought certainly all of these prisoners, including Paul and Silas, were going to clear out of there in these open doors and, and they were going to escape and he was going to die at the hands of the Roman hierarchy. And that is when Paul and Silas cry out to him and say, hey, don't harm yourself, we're still here. And he ends up taking Paul and Silas to his home cleaning them up, giving them nourishment, and then him and his family get saved. Now again, why is that significant to the book of of Philippians? In many ways, this is a love letter to the church in Philippi that was a very good church. And that's why Paul makes some of these most tremendous statements that he makes in all of his writing and epistles. Paul wrote this tremendous letter of victory and joy while he was imprisoned in Rome. So he started out the the church at Philippi by being thrown into prison. Now he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi while he is again in prison in Rome. It is believed that the that Lydia, the woman that he's going to that he actually met beforehand, and this Philippian jailer that was the ones that actually started the church. And it had become a strong place for the work of Jesus Christ. So the church at Philippi, started by Lydia and the Philippian jailer resulted from the Macedonian call that Paul received in a dream. If you if you think that God is not in control, um, let me promise you that he is. He is in control. And if you will just obey him and follow him in your spiritual walk, I promise you that you will see that control come to fruition 
and that he will bless you. Let's pick up reading in Philippians. And one of the things, I went back and forth whether I was going to do it that way or not. But one of the things that I want to do, if you will stay with us and continue to listen to this study in Philippians, by the time we are done, you will have heard, read, I hope that you'll read along with us, but you will at least have heard the entire book of Philippians. And, and I hope that that is a good thing in your life. Starting with chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul mentions Timothy out of love. Timothy and Paul had a tremendous relationship. In fact, Paul calls Timothy in other writings a son in the faith. And so he loved Timothy. Timothy loved him. They are fellow servants of Jesus Christ. And they're writing this to the true Christians, the saints, the holy ones of the church, and to the leaders, which is the bishops and the deacons. So there has already become an establishment within the church of leadership. Timothy is helping in this attitude. And, and so they are doing this. Now, this is a typical greeting of Paul. Grace be to you from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had a tremendous message of grace. It had become one of his greatest words in ministry. And so he often says this, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 3 to 6. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul shows a true pastoral attitude that unfortunately in modern churchdom, we have lost a lot of that attitude. Paul remembers the people at Philippi often and thanks the Lord that he has set aside the bad experiences that started out in Philippi and has set, has a set of great memories towards them. Paul prays fervently for them. Ministers, pastors, leaders, deacons, bishops, whatever term that we have on us should always pray fervently for our people. It is not this modern day phoniness of send me a request and I'll say a little prayer. I pray making request for you. I pray fervently for your needs. And that's the attitude that we should have. I, I think on that and, and just again, making comments within this, it bothers me that people will often say, just as a buzz phrase, um, 
I will pray for you. I will pray for you. And then many, many times I have seen that through the years where the people that said, I will pray for you had already forgotten before you even left the building. I used to say that when I was doing revivals. By the time my tires leave your parking lot, you will have forgotten your commitment to pray. And see, I think when Paul says this, this is such a powerful word that he was doing what he should have been doing as a leader in the church. For your fellowship in the gospel, fellowship is participation. The Philippians had supported the gospel and Paul from the beginning of the church to the time of this writing. Paul says, I have a strong assurance that the one who began a good work in you will continue to bring it about until his return. He's not going to stop in the middle. He will work to the end. And that's one of those verses. Chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God doesn't do a partial work. God doesn't do a temporary work. God does the work and continues to work in your life until it comes to completion. There's a, a little course that my buddy and I used to sing together. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. I didn't mean to go into a song. Forgive me for that. But, it, but it's a wonderful promise. It's a wonderful promise to all of us. And, and Paul is saying, I'm confident of this very thing that God is going to continue to work in you until the day, the return of Jesus Christ. Picking up with verses 7 and 8. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to think of you, Paul says, because you're in my heart, in my bonds, and when I'm in defense and confirmation of the gospel, the Philippians are partakers by their salvation. To the Greeks, the bowels was the center of emotion. It's a little hard for us Americans because what we would probably say in um, verse 8 would be you all in the, in the heart of Jesus Christ because the heart is the center of emotion to us. But to the Greeks, it was the, the bowels are the center of emotion. So Paul is assuring them of his love and gratitude for them in the very deepest parts of his being. 
So that, again, you see this love letter that Paul is writing to, to these people at Philippi, and, and he's, he continues to speak of this love and concern and prayer into their lives. Verses 9 to 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. The petitions of Paul, Paul's prayers, that your agape, godly love, will continue to grow and all the more in knowledge, this is a thorough, full understanding of moral issues. Epignosis is the Greek word, a thorough, full understanding of moral issues and judgment. So that's what he's saying when he says all the more in knowledge and judgment, which is discernment, the ability to apply principles in particular situations. I just have to say that we so much in churchdom today have lost the reality of discernment. And Paul's prayer in this, that, that we would have a thorough, full understanding of moral issues and an ability to apply principles in particular situations is so significant. And we need to hear that just like the Philippian church needed to hear that back at that time. The more love grows, that's agape love. That's not silly love like what we often put into the human realm of things. That is agape love. The more that it grows, the more the moral sense should grow. Did you follow that? The more that agape love grows, the more the moral sense should grow. So often in our thinking today, we've taken the attitude, well, if you love others, then you should just tolerate everything about them. If you truly are living in love, then you should never speak against anything or anything like that. You just should accept everybody. That goes totally against what Paul is saying to the Philippian church because he's saying when your love is genuine and it is growing, you will have more of a sense, more of a growing sense of morality that you may expect the best things, that you may be sincere and without offense until Christ comes. Be filled with the fruits of righteousness that is through Christ. So we should be constantly growing in our love and and that should cause us to be filled with the fruits of righteousness in our lives, which comes by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. Verses 12 to 14. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, 
so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It's That's some wonderful words to us. Paul's imprisonment did not restrain the gospel, but it advanced it. Could you look at being thrown in prison as being a blessing? Hmm, that's a challenging thought. Could you, could you look at being thrown in prison as a blessing? That's exactly what Paul is saying in, in these verses. The fact that I was in prison did not restrain the gospel, but it advanced it. His bonds had put him literally on display from the palace to the streets to the waters. He is, and so he's not only a prisoner, but he's been displayed as a prisoner all over the place to all people. But what that did, it didn't discourage the fellow ministers. It increased their courage so that they would minister more boldly to others. It had become a blessing out of a trial. And, and I do, I, I know, and, and don't, don't think me sitting in front of this microphone and presenting to you that I am so holy and wondrous that I can go through terrible circumstances and always have a great big smile on my face. I think people are lying that say that. Oh, oh, we can do, we can go out into public and maybe put a smile on our face for a little while and act like everything is okay. When we get into our room by ourselves and reality hits us in the face, it's really hard to look at trials as being a blessing. But Paul is saying because of all the things that he had gone through, and even in Philippi itself earlier than what he's writing here, but earlier in Philippi itself, the the bonds, the prison, the beatings, all of those things that they went through led to wonderful blessing in the founding of this Philippian church. Sometimes we just pass over these words and we don't really pay attention to what it is that it is saying to us. But I know the McKamies had a song years ago that said, God will make this trial a blessing. And, and he will. What are you going through today? Wait, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw up your hands and say, I can't make it through this because ultimately God will take this. I always remind people jumping into Romans, very famous verse, Romans 8, 28, for we know that God works together all things for good. Now, I just wanted to quote just part of that. I didn't want to quote all of that. You, you, a lot of times people quote that by saying all things for God is good. 
If you're called according to God's purpose, all things are good. That's not what it says. That's not, it says God works together all things for good. So he takes things that can seem to be terrible trial. And I wonder, going back, I, I, I think, wow, if I would have been Paul and I would have been in the situation that I wanted to go to Asia. I wanted to go to Bithynia. Uh, that's what I really wanted to do. And the, the Holy Spirit said, I can't go to those places. And instead, he sends me to Macedonia to all these things happening in my life. And then ultimately, I'm going to end up in prison in Rome to write a letter to the church at Philippi. But through the bonds, God used those things. We see that in Stephen as well, and I don't mean to jump around, but it all connects together. We see that in Stephen as well as he is stoned to death, the first recorded martyr for his faith. He's stoned to death, and and this same Paul, who was then called Saul, is there watching over the clothing excited that Stephen is being stoned to death. Through the stoning of Stephen, the church is scattered. And because they are scattered, the gospel spreads into all of the world at that time. And, and that same Saul is going to become Paul that is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. God will make the trials a blessing. He will use these things in your life and maybe not only help you to spread the word, but give others around you the boldness to be able to spread the word as well. Not everybody does that righteously. Verses 15 to 17. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. There are always going to be people, preachers, co-church members, whatever manifestation they may be in, there's always going to be some people around you that are only interested in advancing their own interest. They preach Christ out of partisanship and division, not purely. They speak half-truths to suit their purpose. They're literally trying to make life as hard on Paul as they can. They're jealous of Paul. Ministers jealous of ministers. They wanted to make Paul's imprisonment the worst possible. They wanted to make Paul look bad. And they weren't interested in exalting Jesus Christ. They were interested in exalting themselves. Be very, very careful, my friends. Please, may I give you that word of warning? 
That's why when the disciples came to Jesus in Matthew 24 and said to him, what will be the signs of your coming? What's going to happen? How will we know? And the first thing that Jesus said is be careful that no man deceive you. And so it's very important that we understand that this deception can very much take place in our society. And it is, there's people out there that call themselves ministers that have no interest in exalting Jesus Christ. Their only interest is in building their own kingdom. And they're doing it with thousands and thousands and millions and millions of dollars buying private jets and and having humongous buildings that are totally unnecessary and just flying around in comfort and luxury while the people that are giving to them are little elderly widows that don't have enough money to buy their own food. God will judge those people. And it's not going to make any difference if you ran around throwing your jackets at people and supposedly slain them in the spirit by throwing your jacket at them. God is not impressed. God knows that it's all about you. It has nothing to do with him. At the same time, some preach of love toward Paul and toward the gospel because he is a defense or a soldier of the gospel. That's what he is. And the true apostles, the true preachers, the true leaders recognize that readily. And so don't get too caught up. in. And I use this analogy to be a reminder to you. Don't forget the very ones that were waving the palms and saying, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord as Jesus rode into the city on the donkey and they were praising him and throwing their clothes out and, and worshiping God are the same people that just a few days later was going to be shouting crucify him. So don't get caught up on what other people say about you or think about you. Your job is to be a soldier, a defense of the gospel. And if that means that you are displayed as a prisoner of the faith, then so be it. I love my brothers and sisters in China. I've never got to go there, most likely never will. But they have an attitude. You're not really even qualified to call yourself a minister unless you've been imprisoned at least a year for your faith. In other words, what the world are you doing if you haven't been imprisoned? Why not? Well, folks, I have said for a long time, and I still believe that. If God doesn't take me from death very, very soon, or he doesn't return in the rapture, I am probably going to spend my dying days in jail. Does that mean that I want to spend my dying days in jail? No, it does not. But if that's what God chooses, how should I respond to that? I should become a minister in the jail. That's what, okay, what, what would be the other solution to that? 
So we become a soldier of the gospel, whether it is free or bond, whether it is popular or hated. It doesn't matter. Now, verses 18 and 19, as he continues in that, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What wonderful words that is as he closes that verse out. That is, it is of the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Spirit is capitalized there. It is talking about the Holy Spirit. It's amazing, and, and I love this attitude. And does that mean that we should just accept false teachers? No. But understand this, even though they teach falsely, if they talk about Jesus Christ, if they quote the scriptures, then this becomes of all importance. Rejoice that Christ is preached regardless. That, that, so even if they do it for the wrong reasons, with the wrong motivations, praise God for the fact that Christ is preached. I, I want to be careful, but I heard the story about a government putting together comic books with the intention of discrediting the Bible, mocking the Bible blaspheming God, the church recognized that in those comic books that had the the blasphemy against God, they quoted Bible verses. It was illegal for the church to have the Bible, so they went and bought up as many of these blasphemous comic books from the government as they could and used them to spread the Bible verses. That is what I'm saying in the sense of sometimes, even though they preach it with the wrong motivation, we can still rejoice. Paul rejoiced. It's like, hey, if, if they speak about Jesus, then praise God, they're speaking about Jesus, and maybe somebody will be reached with the truth even in what they are saying. This is the only time that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is mentioned in this manner. As the prayer goes up, the power comes down. Paul knew that all things would work out, even in his bondage. And that's why he makes that statement. I know that this shall turn to my salvation. It will work out through your prayer, because you are praying for me. It isn't insignificant that you pray for one another. I'll say this unashamedly. Please, please pray for me. Pray for this ministry. So it will turn to my benefit through your prayers. And the supply, the only time that this is ever mentioned in the scripture in this manner the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Praise his name. He is our supply. 
He is the one that provides everything that we need, whether we realize that or not. He'll bring that up a little bit later in chapter four about that supply. We'll talk about that then. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to pick up in verse 20 of chapter one in Philippians and go on from there. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.